0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 371 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-ish, maybe three times a week show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing all things rage decluttering. We all have that impulse, all of us have it, right? That impulse, desire to grab a trash bag, walk around the house, and throw out everything that's contributing to our mental overwhelm. But my guest today argues that rage decluttering never works in the long run, and she's here to offer up some solutions on what we can do differently and better next time we have the urge to, again, declutter out of rage. Today, I'm speaking with Leslie Alder. She is a life coach for overwhelmed moms who are sick of spending their lives on housework. Leslie, I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Tell us who you are. Tell us how on earth you became a life coach for overwhelmed moms. Tell us all the things.
1: Yeah. So I'm Leslie and I'm a mom of four kids. We're currently aged eight to one. And I first found life coaching when I was a new mom to two. So my youngest at the time was I just barely turned one. And I was coming out of this phase of like the crazy postpartum phase where you come up for air for the first time. And I started looking into minimalism because I was like, I what, moving from one to two kids, you realize how much less control you really have over your life, and so I started to look at to the things I could control, and a lot of that had to do with my physical environment. So I really started reducing things, my physical environment. But then I noticed that even once I had attained "quote unquote" arrived to physical minimalism, I still had a lot of, like mental clutter in my head, and so I tried therapy for a little bit, and that worked. But then I also found life coaching, and the tools I found there really helped me be more intentional about my life and the choices I was making. And helped me approach and maintain minimalism in, I felt, a more sustainable way.
0: Yeah, there's something about, first of all, becoming a parent for the first time and then adding to your family consecutive times. It's like the amount of control you have, the amount of perceived control you think you have, very tangibly (laughs) dissipates as the family grows. At least that's been my experience. Today, we're talking about rage decluttering. Let's just all get on the same page before we start. What on earth is rage decluttering to you? I go
1: back to this time. I have these memories of me as a kid. My dad would come home from work or my mom would come home from something and they'd just be stressed and they'd look around and they'd be like, okay, look, that's it. Like, Clearly, if you can't take care of your toys, you have too many, so we're just getting rid of all of them. And they'd like very dramatically put them in a big box and shove them in the other room and all the kids would be crying. And they're like, nope, if you want to earn them back, you can do this. Or like they're going to Goodwill. And most of the time they wouldn't actually fall through on that threat. But I remember in the moment thinking like, what, I'm a parent. I will never do that to my kids. And now 20 years later, I'm like, oh no, I know exactly. I know exactly why they made that threat. Like I get it now. And trying to do better, but it totally makes sense to me now because they just wanted a sense of control, right? Something had gone wrong in their day where they felt like they didn't have control. They wanted to feel like they were in control of their life again. And so the quickest thing they can control, like hard to control kids, easy to control your physical environment. And so when I think of rage decluttering, I think of decluttering or purging or operating within your physical space from a place of rage, anger, frustration.
0: I'm totally hearing all of that. Rage decluttering happens when you're decluttering on emotion retroactively, right? You're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, you are at the end, the absolute last end of your rope, and you're retroactively trying to, number one, release these negative emotions that are likely swirling through. And number two, you're, again, trying to re-exert some sense, some semblance of control over your home environment. But you argue that rage decluttering never works. And I want to know why. Because in the moment, it can feel so darn good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does. And it works in the sense that it gives you that release. So sometimes I compare it to... Unhealthy eating pattern. So, in a similar way, that when we binge and purge food, it's us trying to gain control, right? So, we feel like stressed or anxious or upset. And so, we binge the things, but then usually we overdo it, right? Because coming from a place of a negative emotion, we don't make the best decisions. We're not operating with our highest self. So, when we come down off of that high, we realize, oh, actually, (laughs) I do need two pans. I did need those extra pair of shoes. And then you have to like go out and shop for the stuff again, which gives you that little hit of dopamine, right? Like, oh, I got something new and you bring it into your house, but then you might probably overdo it on that side too, because you feel a little bit of guilt for getting rid of too much. So maybe you pick up too much and then you're back in that same cycle. It feels like it works in the moment because you get that release, but long-term you're just feeding into the same consumerism cycle of feeling not enough, purchasing too much, and then feeling overwhelmed and getting rid of too much.
0: As you're talking there, I'm thinking about my own impulses to rage declutter, and I don't have the impulse to rage declutter my own stuff because I take care of my own stuff and I have systems in place to organize it. And frankly, I don't have all that much to begin with, but it's the kids stuff that gets me because they are two little slobs. There's no other way to put it. They don't take care of their stuff. They don't put it away no matter how much I nag and they don't listen. So the rage decluttering impulse and urge is strong when it comes to their toys, their clothes, their trinkets, their rock collection, their shell collection, all these things that really do feel as though they overtake our home. You mentioned the after emotions, right? So we're acting on a place of emotion when we rage declutter. That's the rage and rage declutter, right? But Almost always, I would say, at least for me, the emotions that come after. So there's three stages. One is the impulse. Two is the action, the rage declutter. For me, it's like the impulse to walk around with a trash bag and just throw all the junk in it. And then three is what comes after. So usually in step two, when you're actually doing it, you feel really good. It's like an elephant is off your chest. You feel you can breathe again. Everything's right in the world. But then, at least for me, immediately after comes the guilt, the shame, the regret. And as a sustainable minimalist, it often comes when I think to myself, I identify as a sustainable minimalist, and now I decluttered with rage. So what am I going to do with all this stuff? There's a dissonance there, and dissonance always brings shame for most of us. And there's also the guilt, too, especially when it comes to the kids' stuff, because This is their stuff, right? And if I was a better mom, I would be sitting with them and working through what to do with this stuff, especially older kids. Like it's not a good look to just throw your kid's stuff in a trash bag. (laughs) So talk to me about that. Talk to me about what we can do, especially with the kid's stuff. When you feel as though you've done everything on the front end to maintain that sense of control, but they're not listening, they're living like slobs, your house is a disaster and it's negatively impacting your mental health. What do we do with the kids' stuff?
1: So the first thing I would like you to do is just to neutralize everything because our brains are just meaning-making machines, right? So anything we see, anytime we hear... Something, it's going to assign a meaning to it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that meaning is like the absolute truth or that it's even useful, but that's just what our brains do. So when you come across that messy room and kids' toys are all over the living room or they've made it into your office, hypothetically, I share an office with my son covered in toys right now. Ask yourself, what am I making this mean? Because if you get really factual about it, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's just plastic on the ground, it's a fluffy stuffed animal sitting on the couch, if you get really specific about what you're actually seeing, like nothing's gone wrong. We're not talking about like biohazardous chemicals in your house. Nothing's on fire. Nothing's actually a threat. It's just stuff. It's just kids stuff on surfaces. And so when you look into what am I making this mean? That's when we can figure out why we're getting triggered by it. So what thoughts come up when you see this stuff? Maybe it's something like, I'm not a good mom. I'm lazy. I should have this figured out by now. Am I the only one who can't do this? Like everyone else seems to have their house picked up. So-and-so down the street has more kids than I do and her house never looks like this. So it's not the stuff on the ground that's making you feel the guilt and shame. It's what you're making it mean. And once you get a little bit of awareness there, you can take a step back and create some distance between the thoughts that your brain is feeding you and yourself because we shouldn't believe everything our brain tells us. It's well-meaning, it really is, but not everything that we think is useful.
0: Can you walk me through an example of that, an example of maybe perhaps a time in which you felt the desire to rage declutter either your own things or your kids' things or common things? How would that drilling down of the why you felt like that, how would that work in real life? Can you walk us through an example?
1: Yeah. And I do it a little bit differently every time. And a lot of times depends on what my emotional capacity is, right? So if I walk into a room that's overwhelming me and I see the stuff everywhere and the kids are also probably running crazy at the same time, right? Cuz everything happens at once. Then I'll just take a deep breath and I'll take a step back. Sometimes physically creating some space between me and the scenario really helps. So I'll like whip up my camera. I used to do this a lot when my kids were very tiny and I wanted validation. I'm like, "Look at this crazy life that I have." And I just like pan the room with a video. Kids are screaming, like the oven timer's going off. Just total chaos. And part of me wanted just to show that to my husband, just for a little bit of validation. Oh, how was your day, honey? This was mine. But once I finally got to that point where he was home, I'd usually processed it. So it wasn't a big deal. But just giving that space for myself looking at my life from that third person perspective and to kind of see like, oh, this is not a big deal. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's safe. And imagine yourself just like hovering in the corner, like a fly on the wall, and just seeing everything happen. And at that point, like it's kind of humorous, still overwhelming, still ridiculous, but like funny. So if you can give yourself a little bit of space, that really helps. And then like, literally just panning the room and looking at everything and reminding your brain and realizing there's not a threat here. We're safe, everyone's fine, it's okay. Another thing I like to do is leave, go outside, remind myself that there is a world that exists outside my house. I think a lot of times, especially as women who are at home a lot, our house becomes our world and we forget that there's stuff that exists outside of us. And thank goodness, right? There's a whole big, beautiful, incredible world out there. Our home is just such a tiny part of it. So getting yourself a little bit of perspective and realizing this isn't the end of the world that I have a messy house.
0: I definitely want to talk about getting out of the house with you later in this conversation. But I must say, as you're talking there, I'm thinking about my rage decluttering urges with my kids' stuff. As I'm trying to sit with what's really coming up for me here, it's not the toys on the floor. What is the deeper issue? I would say for me personally, it's two things. The first is, number one, when I see my children consistently ignore my directives to clean up. I think I internalize that as me not being a good enough mom. Like in my head, good kids pick up their stuff. I don't know. I could go through, (laughs) where did I get that? What happened to me in childhood to give me that thought? But that's what's actually going on deeper. And also I think too, simultaneous to that is the fact that I want to be, my aspirational self is, I want to be a mom who's totally fine with toys all over the house. I want to be a laid back, cool, easy breezy mom, but I'm not, I'm just not. And so then I feel the guilt and shame because these toys, which are on the floor, which like you said, are not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of life. They do bother me, even though I don't want them to. What's step one? So we feel the urge to rage declutter. Instead of grabbing that trash bag, what should we do instead?
1: Yeah. So if you're already at the point that you're at, which is where you have that awareness of what the thought actually is, that is the first step. That's huge. Being able to know like, okay, I don't think this is from the actual stuff. I think it's from what I'm making it mean. And if it is something like, oh, I'm making it mean that I'm not a good parent. Because if I was a good parent, my kids would have this figured out by now, or I wouldn't have to be on their case all the time, or they would have the same values as me. But when you think that thought, like you said, it creates feelings of shame and guilt for you. And when you're feeling shame, what actions do you take? you go through that trash bag, load everything up, purge everything. And then as a result, like you're actually creating more trauma for your family by decluttering in a way that harms everyone, which is probably not going to help pass on your sustainable minimalist values to your children. If getting rid of things is always this big traumatic emotion filled event. So a lot of times these thoughts that we have, they're very practiced, like we've had them for a long time. And it's not like we can just let it go, right? Like you can't just stop thinking, oh, When I see stuff on the ground, I'm going to make it mean that my children love me and I've created a beautiful life for them and nothing has gone wrong. That's too far of a stretch, right? So instead, we can kind of just create a little baby step to a ladder thought. So instead of saying, I'm making it mean that I'm a terrible parent because my kids should have this figured out by now and then feeling shame and guilt, we can even keep the same thought and just tweak it a little bit and be like, oh, wow. I'm going to have so much compassion for myself if that's what I'm believing right now. Oh, you're believing that you're a bad parent because your kids have stuff on the ground? That must be really difficult. And just have compassion for yourself instead of the shame and guilt. Because if you think about it, shame doesn't work. Overall, like if shame worked, we would all have sparkling houses and perfect children because we all feel so much shame all the time. So just showing to your brain repeatedly, giving it evidence that shame isn't useful. It's not helpful. We think it is, but it really isn't.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break, Leslie, but when we get back, we're going to go through your four-step process. We've done step one, but we have three more steps to go. We'll get there after a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, Sustainable minimalists, listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle And we're back. Today I am speaking with Leslie Alder. She is a life coach for overwhelmed moms who are, like me, they're sick of spending their lives on housework. Before the break, Leslie, you did such a great job of drilling down, essentially, right? Like The emotion that's coming up is some sort of frustration or rage or overwhelm that's leading to an impulse to rage declutter, but you actually made the point that it's actually not about the stuff on the floor, or it's not about the pile of mess. There's some deeper underlying thing going on, and the mess is really just the trigger. So assuming we've all done that in our work, we figured out what's really coming up for you, and I'll be honest, during the break, I was thinking about why do I tend to assume that kids who pick up their rooms are good kids? That goes back to my childhood in a big way. My mom was actually quite militant about the state of our homes and the state of our bedrooms and the state of our stuff. Again, I got to dig into that a little bit more, but I took messaging from my childhood and I've brought it into my own parenting style. Okay, so we did that. Now we're on to step two, which is processing the anger, processing the immediate emotion that's coming up. How on earth do we do that? Yes,
1: this is, I feel like, one of the most challenging things that I teach because as a society in general, we're very out of touch with our emotions. We're usually really good at getting in our heads and figuring out what our thoughts are, but then we try to skip right over that feeling piece and go straight into action. We don't want to feel our feelings, we just want to think about it. We intellectualize it and then we jump straight into action. But that middle piece, that emotion part, is actually really important because we aren't just floating minds, right? Like we have bodies (laughs) and emotions are felt and processed through our bodies. So it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel uncomfortable for a lot of us, especially if we're generally very intellectual people. But it's really important that we process that anger in our bodies. We're talking about anger. This works with any emotion, but we'll talk about anger today. So anger feels very powerful, right? And that's what we're after, especially in these situations. We want our control back. We want to feel empowered. So what we can do is harness that energy from anger. And instead of going in a negative direction with it, acting out in negative ways, we can just shift it a little bit into a more positive, empowering direction. Before we even do that, though, get really familiar with what anger feels like in your body. For some people, like their face gets really hot, their ears get hot. For other people, their throat gets tight. For some people, their fingers get a little bit tingly and they feel like this energy in their core. So just think about what does anger feel like for you and identify that and just feel it. And you can practice it when you're not in the moment too. So you can create some space, maybe as part of your morning routine or evening routine or some time where you have space to yourself and really get into your body and ask yourself, what does anger feel like? Once you have that in place, then we can take that energy and kind of move it into a more positive direction. So tell yourself, this is just an emotion that my body's producing and it can't hurt me it's like nothing's gone wrong it's literally my body creating this emotion and my body's perfectly equipped to feel and process it because it's just hormones and chemicals and signals and energy going through my body and it's just part of being a human there's nothing to be ashamed of there's nothing wrong with anger it's just an emotion like every other one and then once we've shifted that energy, once we've identified it and decided we're going to go in a positive direction, then we can take some of those actions that we talked about earlier. So getting some distance between yourself and the situation, taking a picture or a video clip. Another way that I like to process anger is when I feel myself about to yell to my kids, <laughs> I'll sing it or I'll like just say it obnoxiously in a weird, loud way instead. And they think it's hilarious. They just laugh. I get to let off some of that steam and it doesn't come across as basically being verbally really harsh with my kids. If you notice, children are amazing at this. Children are so good at feeling their feelings. Like they have no guards, no boundaries. They will just feel all the things in whatever order they need to feel them. So I noticed, especially my toddler, she can flip from crying to laughing so fast when she's mad and she doesn't feel shame about it. She just, she does it, but yelling or crying releases anger in the same way that laughing does. So getting... Creating noise and moving your body around. You can do it through screaming or yelling. You can also do it through laughter or singing. So you can shift into one of those instead. And I personally am a big music person. So I use music to facilitate this a lot. I actually have a rampage playlist on Spotify (laughs) that I'll listen to. Sometimes I'll do it in my house. Other times I'll go into my car and I'll do a nice little angry drive. Not actually angry driving, just listening to loud music as I'm driving around, singing, crying, yelling. Processing some of the anger before I try to go and address the mess.
0: Okay, so many good tips there, Leslie. I must say that when it comes to all the negative emotions, anger is my default. And I've always been that way. I think it's just a part of my personality. When I'm sad, it manifests itself in anger. When I'm whatever, anger is always the first line of defense for me. and. I, to be completely honest, I like anger because anger gives me that jolt of motivation, I would say, to like fix the problem, to do something. For me, sadness makes me want to curl up in a ball and do nothing. But anger gives me the motivation to solve whatever is out of whack. And so I totally hear you when you say sing or laugh or listen to that heavy metal, perhaps on Spotify. For me, I usually go for a run, I take out my anger on the road, and that definitely works. But at the end of the day, the clutter is still there and the house is still messy. What do you have to say to that? Because yes, I think channeling the anger is important, but why are we not (laughs) channeling the anger more appropriately towards... The mess because it's still going to be waiting for us after we listen to our Spotify playlist or after we go for our run or after we sing or laugh. Does that question make sense? Yeah, definitely.
1: So obviously you're not going to be driving around and decluttering at the same time, but you can do a lot of these things at the same time as cleaning up. So you can turn on like the cleaning playlist that's a little bit more energized and use that to kind of create this positive momentum to get everyone to help clean up. You can also do the same like singing, laughing, ridiculousness kind of make it like a play just initially you don't have to like keep it up the whole time but that can help break some of the tension and get everyone on board do it case by case basis so when you're looking at the clutter what are the circumstances around it is it 5:30 p.m. and do we need dinner on the table in the next 30 minutes if so we're probably not going to go do a huge once over on the house right like we need it to be functional in that moment when you have a moment like this After you've processed some of that emotion and you're a step back from it, then you're able to get back into your thinking brain and make like a conscious decision about what's going to serve us best in this moment. So, if it's a functional purpose that you want this mess gone, it's literally just not functioning for your life right now. So, that might look like I can't walk through here without tripping. Like, it doesn't actually feel safe to be in my house right now. I can't be cooking in this kitchen because it's just there's not enough space. Okay. Then solve for that, but you can literally solve for it in the most simple way possible. Like you can literally grab a laundry basket, scoop all the stuff off your counter into the basket. Problem solved. You're going to come back to it later. Absolutely. But in this moment at 5 30 PM, like now is not the time to go through and hand wash all the dishes and put them all away. Right? So if it's that functional reason, solve for it, but do it in a really simple way and don't get on yourself. Don't berate yourself for not doing it quote unquote the right way. Or not having it put away or not having it done earlier. Like at this moment in time, again, don't drop into shame. None of that's going to serve you. Solve it in a very functional, practical way. Put it in another room and come back to it later. But if it's not functional, if you notice it's more of the internal self-talk of what am I making this mean, then it doesn't matter how perfect you get your physical space. You're still going to feel that discomfort because it's coming from your mind. So just kind of figure out which one is winning out in this moment. And if it is the physical space, this is just not functional. Great, let's solve for that quickly, but let's do it in a quick way.
0: Yeah, I like that. All right, so we're moving on to changing your environment. And you alluded to this earlier in the conversation, Leslie, but what does just getting out of our four walls do for us? Why is that so darn important? And I ask that as somebody who works at home, spends the vast majority of her time at home. I could walk around this house with my eyes closed and know every nook and cranny because I'm here all the darn time. Why do we need to get out of our house more, especially when we feel this overwhelming urge to rage to clutter?
1: Yeah, so I can totally relate to this because I'm very much a homebody. Like my house is my cave. I could just hole up here forever and be totally happy. But thankfully, I am living in the same house with many other family members who are not that way and who need to get out more often. So they pushed me to get out there. But yeah, naturally, I would not be taking myself out of my comfort zone. And so I, it took me a while to learn this. But going outside, especially if you can get out into nature, even if you have a yard, like you don't have to go on some long hike in the woods and forest bathe as much as I wish I had access to that. Like, you don't have to do that. You can literally just go for a walk around your block or sit in your yard if you have one, or just look at the birds, like just connect yourself back to the earth, connect yourself back to the world and nature and remind yourself that this house that we have, it's beautiful and we love it and it's wonderful, but it's actually just meeting one of our core needs, which is shelter, right? And a warm place to prepare food, to take care of ourselves. But we are human beings and we are meant to be outside. We're meant to be connecting with plants and animals and nature and the weather. And you can do this too by not as a reactive thing, but you can proactively add in some outside time to your day to prevent this rage from being happening in the first place. So where I live now, we don't have a clothes dryer, some weird things fell through. We never ended up getting one. And so for a while, I was air drying my clothes outside and I actually love it now. It's not as easy as just throwing the massive tangled wet wad of clothes into the dryer, right? But it actually doesn't take that much more time. And it gives me at least two times a day where I have to go outside. I have to put my feet on the grass. I have to slow down. I have to work with my hands. And I'm putting up these clothes. And I'm feeling the sunshine on my face. And I'm listening to the birds. And so it's just this. It's become this beautiful ritual for me where I get to connect back to the earth. And I also feel like connected back to generations before me who had to do this. I didn't have an option. And then I go back inside with my basket of laundry and reenter the modern world, right? So you can create little moments like that. You don't have to stop using your dryer, but work in little tiny ways where you can go outside and connect back to the earth and then bring that calm and peace with you back into your house.
0: Yes, I so agree with everything you're saying there, Leslie. I think that a mess, let's say, a messy home feels so much more important than it is when the mess is what you're constantly looking at, right? Getting outside and getting some perspective, changing your scenery, clearing your mind is a great technique. Technique? I don't know. A great act? I don't know what the word is there. But it's a great way to give yourself some perspective, like in one year, in one week, This will not actually matter. And I think that for those of us who do spend the majority of our days at home, maybe the work-from-home folk, maybe the stay-at-home mom folk, the walls can close in on you, can't they? And so it does pay for many reasons, not just to abate the rage-decluttering urge, but it really is important to get out of our homes. And I say that for all of you, but I really say it for me because... I do feel a definite shift in my mood when I leave the home, connect with nature. Maybe I connect with another human being who's not one of my core four in my family. And so we've covered your three do's. Let's just remind everybody of the do's. Number one, get clear on why you're wanting that clean space right in that moment. Number two, process your anger in a different way other than rage decluttering Number three, change up your environment. So those are the do's. Now we're on to the don't. What on earth is the don't? Don't do this.
1: Yes. If you've been listening closely, you might be able to guess this one, or you won't be surprised when I say it, but don't make any final decisions from a place of overwhelm or anger. Hopefully at this point, I've demonstrated how that doesn't work and it feels horrible and it's not sustainable in the long run. You want to be in a place of gratitude and generosity when you decide things need to leave your home and you want to be able to make an educated decision on where those things are going to go right but you can't access that higher educated intellectual side of your brain when you're in anger and shame and guilt and in those negative emotions because when you're in those negative emotions you're just going to be trying to cover those up and solve for them as quickly as possible so if you do feel like you have a need to get the stuff out of your house when you're upset do that but Don't get it all the way out of your house. Put it in a garage or put it in a closet or put it somewhere out of the normal line of living, but then just let it sit there for a while and just sit on your decision. By the next morning, you may be like, no, actually, we need that. Pull the stuff out. Or I heard this idea once of putting the items in quarantine, which we can all very much relate to, right? So get get the box, put all the things in quarantine. And then set a timer so we come back to it. Don't let it pile up. So maybe that's going to be two weeks. Maybe it's one week. Maybe it's 30 days. Set an alarm on your phone or a notification on your calendar to check in with that quarantine pile in 30 days. And when you do revisit it, at that point, you're not going to be feeling anger or stress. You may not even remember what's in there, but come to it from a very clear place of gratitude and generosity and compassion. And then you can look at each item, which we've talked about so much in other episodes and other resources of Do I need this? Do I want this? Is this serving me right now? Where could it serve someone else better? And then passing it along. So make a decision from generosity and gratitude. Don't make any final decisions from overwhelm or anger.
0: Yes, I talk a lot on this show about responsible decluttering. So whenever and wherever possible, finding homes for our recently decluttered items. I believe we have a responsibility to do all we can to pass them on so that they don't go to the landfill. And rage decluttering is the complete opposite of responsible decluttering, isn't it? Responsible decluttering requires forethought. And rage decluttering is forethought free. (laughs) It is reactive as opposed to proactive. And with regard to your point with the quarantine box, I find the quarantine box to be especially helpful in these moments when the urge to rage declutter is overwhelming, especially with kids' stuff. I can and do and often put all the stuff that my kids have just left in a corner and forgotten about, I put it all in a box, and then I put that box in the basement, and then I just leave it there for a month, maybe two months. And if they're not asking for the stuff, if they're not asking for the stuff, they're not saying, where's my... I don't know, where's my shell from that time we went to the beach in 2017? If they're not asking for the stuff, that's a really good clue to, first of all, me, that that stuff is not nearly as important to them as they think it is. That's number one. And number two, when it's in the box, after a month or two, after there's some space built in between the kids seeing the stuff every day and then being away from it, for two months, either A, when I reintroduce that box to them, either A, they say, oh yeah, I really love this stuff. I can't let go of it. And they'll then treat it better because there's been that space and there's been that reattachment. So they're going to take care of their stuff or they're going to say, oh yeah, that's a baby toy. I don't need it. Or, oh yeah, I'm done with that. We can pass that on. And so I do think that the quarantine box is so helpful for all of us in so many situations, our clothes, our shoes, our kids' stuff, because the quarantine box gives you that space needed, that pause. The quarantine box is the pause so that you make better decisions and not retroactive ones. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's such a beautiful way to model that for your kids too. And especially if your kids are older, you can actually literally say to them like, Hey, I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed right now. Part of me just wants to get rid of all this, but I respect you. I respect your things. I know I'm not going to make the best decisions from a place of anger. So we're just going to put it in this box. We're going to revisit later. And especially for older kids, that's such a great way to show them, oh, look, mom feels anger, too. And mom feels overwhelmed sometimes, too. And this is how she manages it. So when you become a safe place for your own anger, you become a safe place for every emotion for yourself, but you also become a safe place for your kids' emotions, which is huge. Because if they feel like they're safe to express any emotions with you, then they're going to be able to gain tools and learn methods to process those emotions so much faster than if the message is sent that we can't feel anger in our home or we can't feel overwhelmed, like it's not okay. So this is just one little tiny way that is demonstrated, but I think it's a beautiful way to model some of that emotional maturity to your kids.
0: Yes. We're teaching them how to handle big emotions by showing them how we handle them. And if modeling isn't the best tool for teaching these really important, but also really difficult life skills, then I don't know what is. So get ourselves right first. Rage decluttering is the opposite <laughs> of getting ourselves right. Leslie, tell us again what you do, where we can find all your goodness. Tell us all of it.
1: Yeah. So you can find me a lot on Instagram. I'm at Leslie Alder Coaching. I also have a website, lesliealder.com. And I work with one on one clients through private coaching and I help them, mostly moms, get rid of the physical and mental declutter that they have in their motherhood so that they can stop spending time maintaining their life and actually go out and enjoy it and live it and be present with their kids and gain some of those tools that we talked about today to process their emotions and
0: become more emotionally mature. I think I need your coaching, Leslie. We'll talk offline. But thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot about myself, and I hope my listeners did as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 371. And we do have an eco tip today. The eco tip comes from Katie. And usually when people send me eco tips, I paraphrase. But For Katie's tip, I'm going to read it verbatim. Hope that's okay with you, Katie. I just thought you were so eloquent and you gave voice to your eco tip in ways that I could never do. So Katie says, and I quote, one eco tip I would like to share that may be helpful for other listeners is to not be afraid to do things some of the time. I'm the kind of person who wants to go all in and change my ways completely and immediately. I hear that, Katie. Me too. But I have found peace in letting myself try to do things some of the time. For instance, I wanted to always air dry my clothes instead of using the dryer, but I found it overwhelming when I didn't have the time or energy to do it. When I changed my mindset and allowed myself to try doing it some of the time, I found I was able to better develop a habit and ended up air drying my clothes most of the time anyway, but don't beat myself up if I use the dryer. The same has happened with my bicycle. I felt overwhelmed thinking of all the situations when I have to use my car in my suburb and thought, I can't use my bike all the time, so why even bother? But I've started riding my bike when I can, and I'm thrilled to find that I can use it more than I thought, and every trip on my bike is one less trip in my car end quote. Katie, I absolutely love this tip. You were speaking to incrementalism. Let's not be zero to Oprah, even though for you and for me, that's our natural impulse, let's say. Let's do things better some of the time and let's leave the shame out of it, just like Leslie discussed in today's conversation. Shame is never motivating. So let's keep the shame out of it. I love it. Thank you so much, Katie. Listeners, I'll see you later this week. Reach out if you need me and take care.